I'm Dr. Meredith Hancock, the president of Thomas Edison State University. We're the university that respects your learning wherever it occurs. This is Edison Soundstage, a podcast where we discuss the dynamic role of education in today's world. We have meaningful conversations with business and community leaders and with our students who are actively engaged in their professions and communities, all while learning a degree that builds their careers, advances their professions, and empowers their lives. Recorded and produced on our campus in Trenton, New Jersey, this is Edison Soundstage. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Edison Soundstage podcast. I'm your host, Katie Brommer, and I'm the Assistant Director of Digital Communications here at Thomas Edison State University. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Tara Kent, Associate Dean in the Haven School of Art, Science and Technology, and Director of Undergraduate Studies at Thomas Edison State University. In today's episode, we have the privilege of being joined by Dr. Scott Rocco, who is the New Jersey Association of School Administrators 2022 Superintendent of the Year, and who has dedicated his 30-year career to education and public school administration. Welcome, Scott. Tara, thank you very much. And Katie, thank you for the opportunity to come and speak with you today. We are so happy to have you joining us today because you were such an integral part of the redesign of our Master's in Educational Leadership Program. For the audience, this program serves teachers and other educators who want to advance their careers and prepare for roles as school and district leaders. As we began the program revision, we were seeking an exemplary scholar practitioner, or in other words, someone who has a strong background working in the field of K-12 education, as well as scholarly experience in higher education. In essence, we're essentially seeking ways to bridge theory and practice. Scott embodies that with his record of serving the Hamilton School District, first as a teacher, then a vice principal, principal, assistant superintendent, and now superintendent. And he develops and teaches graduate level courses at colleges and universities. When I met Scott, he was teaching at the College of New Jersey, and he was highly recommended to me by the educational leadership faculty who I was working with at the time to plan our program of vision. I was thrilled to bring him on board and he did outstanding work with us. Tara, you made me sound much better than I am, so thank you. <laughs> That's not true at all. But <laughs> So Scott, as Tara mentioned before, you have, in all of this, you have quite a resume of roles in education and you've encountered every level of, of educational leadership in the public school system. So my question for you here, what initially got you started and what initially drove you to become an educator and what motivated you to transition to administration in the first place? There are two things that motivated me to get into education. So I come from a family of educators. Uh, I had three aunts and an uncle that were all in education, all in public education from start to finish. They started and retired in public education. And so growing up around the dinner table at holidays, I would hear a lot about school and learning and teaching, and it really motivated me. I heard the good and I heard the not so good. But what I always heard from my aunts and my uncle was that this is a great profession. This is a noble profession to get into. And it really sparked my interest. So that was the first part of it. Um, then fast forward, I get into school K-12 myself as a student, mm -hmm. and I had the opportunity to have a lot of good teachers, uh, and four in particular, uh, that really set me 
uh, on a course to go into education. And I'll just talk about one. Uh, my fifth grade teacher, and uh, he was, um, Mr. Yarts was my fifth grade teacher. And at the time, I kind of needed a tougher teacher uh, to, to get me <laughs> yeah. on the right path. Age, in education. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Mr. Yarts did that for me. Uh, mm -hmm. And then uh, through middle school and high school, I had other teachers that motivated me in different ways. And it really became one of those things like, this is my path. This is what mm -hmm. I need to do. Uh, so I went in as an undergraduate, um, you know, a little unknown story is I started as a math major and I really only lasted one semester. I tell people this all the time, um, but I realized in a, in a math class that I was sitting there and everybody who were math majors were really excited about why these theories were working and things were happening. And I sat there and I said, that's not my passion. Mm -hmm. um, I love history. I, I love social studies. I, I love to know why things happened and, and why we are who we are and, and why did that develop. And so, um, so I changed my major and the toughest decision I had to make and the toughest call I had to make at that point was uh, to my father and say, hey, listen, uh, I'm not going to be a math major. And he and I had talked about that my entire high school career about going mm -hmm. into education and being a math major. Um, so I went in and became a social studies teacher and uh, a little more challenging to find a job at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, math teachers were more in demand than social studies. But then uh, I became a teacher and uh, worked um, in uh, Hillsborough Township Public Schools for 18 and a half years, teacher to assistant superintendent. Um, but what motivated me to go into administration was just like as a student, I had some really outstanding administrators that I worked for that motivated me, that had trust in me, that actually gave me leadership responsibilities as a teacher. And as that began to grow, I began to get interest in becoming a, an administrator. And just like my story about you know, being a math teacher, my ultimate goal was always in administration to be a high school principal. And it's one of the positions I've never had oh, wow. uh, in my career. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting thing. I had K-12 experience, yeah. but the initial interest was becoming a high school principal. Wow. So that's kind of my path mm -hmm. into education, what motivated me as a teacher and what motivated me as an administrator. Thank you so much for that, Scott. Um, and what you said really resonates with me, too. I relate to what you're describing about being raised by educators <laughs> and the impact that that had. And I wonder how common that is. And it is, I think, truly a noble profession. And those of us who choose education, we do it because we believe so much in the work that we're doing and the impact we know we can have on other people's lives. But now I'd like to uh, shift a little bit and focus on educational leadership as a discipline and your thoughts about some of the current and emerging issues in the field. So let's start with talking about your vision of leadership and specifically in your perspective, what makes an effective leader in the current educational environment? Yeah, so I think every leader has to have a vision. What do you believe in as a leader? What, what are your ethical standards that you will motivate you to move forward? And for me, it's about students. So, so I have a very simple concept that, that I go with, which is be the leader that you would want your own children to have. And so that concept 
uh, I've always had as a leader in two other districts besides Hamilton Township and now in Hamilton, where my own kids have gone through. Two of my, my children have graduated from there and I have one who is a junior in high school this year. So, so the concept is, you know, do what's right for kids. Do what's right for your own kids. And your own kids as a leader is every one of the children in your building or in your district. Those are your kids. So, so that's the first part of it is be the leader you would want your own children to have. The second part of that with leadership and being a leader and, and how you lead is by surrounding yourself with great people. You don't have all the answers. You don't have all the solutions and you don't have all the knowledge. And so you have to surround yourself with people that are going to help you be successful, help them be successful. And ultimately, our main goal, as I said, help the students be successful. And so what I want as, as a leadership team and people that I work with, uh, teachers in my district and principals and directors are people that are going to constantly learn but also are going to give an honest opinion. And I tell my leadership team this all the time. I don't need people that are gonna just yes me to death. I want people that are willing to tell me how an idea is. And I think we've all heard the phrase, no idea is a bad idea, right? We've all yeah, heard that. Sure, absolutely. There's some bad ideas out there. There's some <laughs> horrendous ideas out there, right? And so if I'm pitching one of those bad ideas about what we need to do in our school district or for kids, I want my team to say, hey, hey, Scott, this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. So so I want to surround myself with people that are willing to give an honest opinion, step up and say, this is right, or maybe this isn't the right direction to go. Um and ultimately doing that, we're going back to my foundation, which is doing what's right for kids. That's a really interesting perspective, too, because I think that we are living at a time where some have called the post-information age, where almost any information, regardless of a source or how it was derived, is equally acceptable. And so I really think that as educators, that's such an important outlook. And I appreciate your raising that. And maybe we can focus a little bit more on that or any other direction that you might want to go in with this. But could you expand a little bit about what you see as some of the most pressing or emerging issues in educational leadership today? There's a lot. Uh, I, I would say pre-pandemic, there were your standard issues and standard concerns. Post-pandemic, they've gotten bigger and more prevalent. And what I mean by that is I think we all understand being in the educational field that change in education was always slow. It's like watching paint dry as, as we went along. You know, if you want to get something change in education, it's going to take a process. Uh, the pandemic changed that. We changed on a dime and went to virtual instruction and had to figure that out within two weeks. And then coming out of the pandemic, we had to figure out how to come back. And, you know, that was in weeks or months. So, so the change and issues that are prevalent in education have accelerated or those, those issues are accelerating. And so what are those? I'll give you a couple. Number one, the staffing shortage is, is a major concern that we have. And, and that's a major issue we're dealing with in education. How do we attract people to the profession? 
How do we get people to stay in the profession? How do we support those folks? Uh, on top of that, one of the major things is, is if we don't have the people to teach courses, how are we going to meet the standards that the state has set for us? How many years of this subject and how many years of that subject? And colleges and universities across the country have shut down programs. Some colleges that used to be great educational training grounds have reduced their programming. So if they're reducing their programming, how are we going to get teachers in specific areas that we need to make sure that we meet the standards that the state has set? So those are two main concerns. And then the other thing is something you touched on, Tyra, and you talk about this, this period of time and information. So being able to critically analyze and put out information so that it is accurate and people understand what's happening in schools. Would a communication tool like social media be effective here? Uh, social media has played a, a positive and a negative aspect in this realm, uh, but you've got to be in the realm as a school leader to make sure that people know where to get information. And then you've got to start putting out accurate, consistent information to share what's happening in, in your district. That's going to help you with all these other issues that are developing in school districts. So uh, teacher shortage, what are we teaching? When are we teaching? How are we getting people to do that? And then ultimately this concept of social media, which also is not only a way to get information out, but is also a struggle for us when it comes to and the use of social media. And you know, as we go along and, and talk here, we can talk a little more about the legal aspects of that as we go forward. But those are all challenges that we're facing right now. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And that's a, an issue I think all of us in education are going to continue to be grappling with for a long time. We've been very uh, focused in addressing critical reasoning and information literacy skills for that exact reason. I want to shift a little bit and talk about some other really prominent and important topics. And as you know, our program was very intentional in putting diversity, equity, and inclusion at the center of our revision process. Can you talk about how you prioritize equity and diversity in educational leadership and any strategies that you use to promote inclusivity in schools? Uh, so it is embedded in our strategic plan in the school district. The strategic plan was a community-based developed plan prior to the pandemic. A lot, you know, we talk a lot about prior to the pandemic, post-pandemic, but it was prior to the pandemic to the point where it was approved by the board in February of 2020. And so within that, diversity and, and equity was part of that on multiple levels, uh, on resources within our schools. So are, do we have the resources where our students can, can see themselves in the material that's being used? Uh, in our recruitment and retention of teachers and administrators? And how are we going about and, and making sure that our leadership and our teachers represent our community? So it's there. And we've done a number of things, especially on the curriculum end, to make sure that our materials are representative of our students. And we've also done that in our recruitment uh, of administrators and teachers. But on top of that, we have a 
District Community Relations Committee. And it's been around for a long time prior to me starting in Hamilton Township. And it works on diversity and inclusivity. It works on a lot of issues related to to the operation of the school district. And so we try to bring in, and the committee tries to bring in those who work in the district, teachers and administrators, and those who live in the district, parents and community members. And we are constantly seeking representation from all of our stakeholders. And that committee over the years has been a really great committee to do work associated with diversity inclusivity. And at the end of the day, what you need to do and what we've learned from that committee is you need to constantly be working with the, com- with the community and bringing people in with different viewpoints, different perspectives, different ideas of how to engage all stakeholders. And I'll give you one example. During the pandemic, we were putting out a lot of brief videos to students and families. And we were doing that in three languages, English, Spanish, and Haitian Creole. Those are the three main languages that we were speaking in our school district, and those are still the three main languages. But if you look at the characters we used in those videos, because they were cartoon characters, Bitmoji characters, they are very diverse. And those characters were the same characters that were used in the beginning when we started our videos and at the very end. And what we wanted families to see was one of those characters that represented them. And we thought that that was very important. And and so that's just another example of how we do that. As a superintendent, I also try to put out a lot of information to the community. And when we do that, I put that out in the three main languages. Canva, which is a great system to use to get information out and put some nice graphics out, makes us all look like we're graphic artists. It has just rolled out a very easy way to translate what you're putting out into different languages. And I use that all the time now. And so that is telling the community that we are including you. Because if you just put everything out in one language and you know that you have a large segment of of your, your school community that speaks a different language as their primary language and you're not meeting their needs, they're not engaged. So why are they going to be interested in your school district? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so we take a, a broad perspective on how we are we are working within a diverse community and how we include our stakeholders in various ways of getting them information and participating in committees. Thank you so much for that. And your response is absolutely consistent with what you were talking about in terms of your your vision of leadership and serving the community and society as a whole through education. And it's impossible for us to achieve that if we don't take diversity, equity, and inclusion seriously. And I really appreciate hearing about how you're achieving that and doing that in the Hamilton School District. Yeah, thanks. But uh, And I'll also say it takes a whole team. Just as I said sure. before, you know, it's there's a team of people that that work on that. And we have co-chairs of that committee who who put a lot of effort in to make sure that they're reaching out to our stakeholders. But I appreciate that. Yes, Scott, thank you for that wonderful example. I'm curious what the response has been from all of your stakeholders. Yeah, I think the feedback, it goes back to the no idea is a bad idea and making mm-hmm. sure you're hearing what's good and what's not good. So when when we're doing something that is going to benefit 
our school community, people on the committee will, you know, be very clear about that. And the great thing about the committee is, is it's made up of a lot of leaders, teacher leaders and community leaders and, and people who, who have an influence in, in our school organization. And if it's not what they think it should be, or it's not mm-hmm. going the way it should be, or it's not going as fast, then they'll let us know. And mm-hmm. I think that that's important too. People want to see change. They want to mm-hmm. see positive change, but they also want to see it for a reason. Like what's the end result? What are we trying to get? So uh, yeah, people have been pretty upfront and honest when we've done it good job and when we need to continue to work harder. I do want to take a closer look at the transition from a classroom to school administrator. I mean, you're talking about all these things that future school, aspiring school administrators really need to think about when they're looking to step into those shoes. And for some of those who are listening on our podcast today, uh, hopefully it's because you're interested in making this transition yourself. Uh, So Scott, what would you say are some of the critical skills and knowledge that are gained by educators in the classroom that you think is invaluable to transition into an administrator role? So if you want to be an administrator, I, I think there's a lot of things here that that are, are possible. First of all, it's important to be a teacher who is willing to go and see how other people teach. If you're interested in becoming an administrator, ultimately, you're going to look at how everyone teaches in your school or your department. Mm-hmm. So go get the skills of if you're like me, a social studies teacher, go find out how a math teacher teaches. Go find out how an English teacher teaches. If you're a high school teacher, go find out how an elementary school teacher teaches. And I be, I went from being a middle school VP, a high school teacher, to an elementary principal. I sat in a kindergarten class as a principal. Mm-hmm. And I said, if I had sat in a kindergarten teacher's class as a teacher, I would have been a better teacher. Mm-hmm. Just based on the structure and the environment and everything that was going on. So so learn, learn. We should always be learning as leaders, mm-hmm. as teachers and leaders. We should always be learning, learn about our craft. And as an administrator, part of our craft is not only leading, but it's the learning aspect of it. Also, go find exemplar teachers and go sit in their classroom and then go talk to them. Uh, but those are skills that you need in the as a teacher to get into leadership positions. The other thing is, for those that are thinking about this, take on leadership roles as a teacher, be a teacher leader, mm-hmm. take on student teachers, be an advisor or a coach, mm-hmm. co-chair a committee in your building or in the district, get that taste of what it's like to have those different types of responsibility, to have to make those decisions, to motivate people to participate or to be able to do something. Those all help when you get into leadership positions. And those skills that you're learning as an advisor, as a coach, as a mentor to a student teacher or a new teacher really will work out for you because you never know day to day, what you're going to experience as a leader. So you want to be able to have a lot of skills and a lot of other experiences that you can connect with your responsibility as a leader. And then the last thing I would say is, as as an educator thinking about getting into leadership, understand that you never stop learning, whether that's in a master's program or reading an article or uh, going to PD, staying a learner 
is centered to success in leadership. It's centered to success in everything. But as, as a leader in a school or a district, there are lots of things that are changing now. Stay a learner. Mm-hmm. Keep reading. Keep engaging people. And, and I think those are important pieces as, as you get into, into the leadership realm. You really hit the nail on the head. Always be learning. That's definitely Thomas Edison's motto. And so I I love that (laughs) tie-in. You mentioned that it's crucial for aspiring educational leaders to experience diverse roles and sit in the classroom, if you will, of other educators with backgrounds and skill sets that are different than your own. How have these experiences impact the difficult decisions you've had to make in your role as a leader? How do you ensure those solutions are aligned with your educational values? Yeah, yeah, I think it valid question. Uh, I think understanding how the classroom operates at different levels, how it operates at a kindergarten level is different than how it operates at a fifth grade level is different than an eighth grade and a 12th grade level, right? So understanding how those those levels operate is important to making decisions. And as you become a leader, building leader, you're seeing it every day at your level. District level, you you're, you have K-12 responsibilities, so there's a lot of stuff happening in your buildings. You have to understand the operation of the district at those levels. And so by understanding that and going out and seeing that, and even as a superintendent, um, I go out and I have uh, meetings with principals every month, and they're in groups. I have, I have 23 principals. So they've self-grouped into six different groups, and we go to one of their buildings every month. So within those, I'm in six different buildings a month now and it rotates. So I'm always in buildings. And then that's that's the bare minimum. I'm in the buildings beyond that. But I get to see what's happening in the buildings. That helps make decisions. So when you're making decisions, you can then put in perspective what that impact is going to be on students, teachers, parents, the community. Now, that's not to say that you know 100% of what that impact is, but Mm -hmm. you have a perspective. And then what you have, if you make those connections and you're talking with your staff and you're engaging your administrators, you can then start asking the right questions. And that's part of this concept, too, is if you get a basic concept of how things are operating, you can then ask the right questions about, hey, is this a is this the right decision we're going to make? I've got to make this decision. How do you handle that? And so um, that does help a lot uh, as you go forward. You can't make it in a silo. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there are there are situations as leaders where you're in your office and you're doing work and you've got to get that work done. And we all agree that that has to happen. But you also have to step out of your office. You also have to go out to the building or go into the classroom or go to the event. And you have to make your presence there known, not to say your presence is important, but your presence is part of learning. Um, And that helps you make decisions. Um, But we make a lot of hard decisions. We make a lot of hard decisions every day. Uh, And if you don't have that perspective, I think you end up not always making the right decision. I really appreciate your remarks about leadership and your comments around working with the community and really getting to know every level in the schools and getting out of your office. I think that that was such a poignant moment. Educational leadership is very much about responding to the needs of the community and working to 
improve society. And certainly to aspire in a leadership role, there are pragmatic reasons in advancing your career and increasing compensation um, and the personal fulfillment of moving up the organization or organizational structure. But I think that it's always most important for us to keep in mind our central purpose, and that is to respond to the needs of our community. Uh, I imagine those tough decisions are topics that are explored in the law course. Before we talk about those experiences, Scott, uh, Tara, can you give us a bit more background into the revision work of the Master of Arts in Educational Leadership program? We conducted a review of the program, which resulted in a series of necessary recommendations to update the program content the learning outcomes, and assessment strategies to ensure that the program includes the most contemporary developments in the field, as well as the new PSELs or National Professional Standards, as well as the um, CAPE accreditation standards. So our revision achieved all of this, as well as a new vision and direction for the program that emphasizes the development of leaders who are prepared to build equitable and just communities and schools. As an extension of this vision, the program now incorporates content to address the social and emotional needs of students, which research indicates is a growing concern that has had a significant impact on the way that students learn. So in redesigning the program, we introduced a number of innovations to support student success, career readiness, and to again, bridge theory and practice. Scott played a key role in our redesign work and helped us meet these goals. I understand that was a massive undertaking. Thank you for explaining that, Tara. Scott, let's talk about your experience as a subject matter expert in school law and what some of the primary goals and the objectives that you had in mind while you were working on this course. Well, first, I want to say thank you to Tara and her team for giving me the opportunity to work with them. Uh, it was a great experience to do the rewrite, uh, really focused uh, on student learning and making sure that anybody that took the course came out with a working knowledge. And I think that was the first part of this was having a working knowledge of school law. So there are two parts to it as I built it out. One was, what does the law say? What are the court decisions? What are the things that you need to understand as an administrator? Because these have been, uh, these have been fought in court. There have been court cases about this and here are the decisions. So that's the first part of it, the actual legal end of it. And then the second part of this, it is, what's reality? Like, okay, so here's what the court decision says. Here's a situation. How do you apply what the court has said to the situation? And then as, as the course is developing and as students are involving themselves in learning the law and then putting it into practical play here is, how do you create a positive environment in your school? So part of part of this process as students go through the class is to understand that you can understand the law and you can react to a situation and imply the law, but then what are the ramifications after in your school? So what are the reactive and proactive aspects of the decision you've made? And so students who go through this course should have the ability by the time they're done to be able to understand 
all the major decisions that are going to impact a school leader, how they play in real life situations, because there's a bunch of scenarios. And then ultimately, as a leader, what impact does that then have on your school, your students, the school community? Because when you make decisions, that has impact. Morale, Mm -hmm. uh, feelings. Do people feel supported? Don't they feel supported? Do people feel safe? Don't they feel safe? So having the ability to, to marry those two pieces and then understand how to create an environment that's more positive after you make those decisions is important. And that's built into the course. And Tara and her team were great about where we want students to be, what we want them to learn, and what we want them to walk out with so that when they're leaders, they're effective, especially in my angle with school law. And I think we built that. I think we we did that uh, throughout the course of the revision. And I'm so pleased with the way this program turned out. And the school law course is absolutely one of the very strong necessary courses in the curriculum. Tara, I, I mean it. I really appreciate the work that you and your team did. And it really was simple. It was not simple isn't the right word, but it was really easy to work with all of you because you all were committed, same mission, same direction. So thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. Thanks for saying that. I agree. I think <laughs> we have a really good team of people who we work with. So that kind of takes me back into, we talked about emerging issues in schools, um, but what are some of the pressing issues that are in school law specifically? So one of the biggest, and and there'll be a lot of case law written about this, is student social media and bullying student social media and threats and what is first amendment right and what isn't first amendment right and that is really developing actually while i was writing the course there was a decision about a high school student a cheerleader who didn't make the varsity team yeah Yeah, and and i Mm -hmm. believe we embedded that into the course because Mm -hmm. it was it was developing law And where does an administrator go when this is happening outside of the school day, but it's impacting the school function? Mm -hmm. And so um, so that's one fascinating. Right. It's fascinating Two, frustrating as a Mm -hmm. school administrator, because um, this law is developing as we go along. And three, it goes back to something I was talking about before about always learning. You've always got to be on the lookout for how things are changing. And this is one item specifically that is going to change in the very near future through court cases and appeals, right? And and new cases coming up. So you need to be aware of what the most recent law says so that when you apply the law, you're applying it correctly. So as we wrap up our conversation here with Dr. Scott Rocco, are there any additional comments or thoughts or key takeaways that you would like future aspiring educational leaders to think about? I think educators need to understand or people that are getting into education need to understand that they have, in my perspective, the second hardest job in the world. The first is being a parent. The second is being an educator. Right. And and because you have that responsibility and you have that access to students and their learning and what they learn and the decisions that they make. And as you go into becoming an educator and you're interested in becoming an administrator, that expands because you're framing that work for those that work every day with kids, the teachers. 
the classroom assistants, the child study team. So if you want to get into administration, um, it's equally as passionate and important for you to be engaged, or let me restate, let me restate that. It's equally important for you to, to stay engaged and have that passion for learning, for working with people, because as a leader, you can do that. Just because you're leaving a classroom doesn't mean you can't continue to teach, doesn't mean you can't continue to create environments where people are successful. Actually, you're doing that at a grander scale. You're doing that at a bigger scale. And that's that's part of the joy of being a leader, mm-hmm. is being able to have an idea, develop that idea, implement that idea, and then see it be successful, right? And see your students be successful, see your teachers be successful, see your community enjoy that success. And so if you want to be a leader, that's part of the joy. There's a lot of there's a lot of frustration at times, but there's a tremendous amount of joy, tremendous amount of joy. And I think people need to understand that 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 it's worth it. It's mm-hmm. worth going into leadership. It's worth being an educational leader at the building level or the district level, whatever your interest is. Um, and and you matter. That's mm-hmm. an important piece. Mm-hmm. It really has been. Um joyful to talk with you today because I know I'm not alone in being so grateful that you are in the position that you're in and able to make such a big impact in uh, the broader community and in the state of New Jersey as well and the students who we serve at Thomas Edison. Thank you for the opportunity, both of you. We are grateful to Dr. Rocco for sharing his expertise and knowledge about leadership in the contemporary educational environment and for talking about his work to build more inclusive and equitable educational environments. It's through conversations like these that we can work towards positive change. If you're interested in finding out more about the Master of Arts in Educational Leadership Program, just search for graduate programs on the tesu.edu website. Thanks for listening to Edison Soundstage. This podcast was produced by Thomas Edison State University.